Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the wonderful Amelia Platten. Amelia is a first-class law graduate from the University of Leeds, my former university and future trainee solicitor at Clifford Chance. Amelia is also the founder of The Neurodiverse Lawyer, a podcast, Instagram page and website to raise awareness of neurodiversity in the legal profession. Amelia's campaign on social media was recognised by The Times in their recent article, Meet the Lawfluencers Courting Popularity and incredibly by winning the Legal Cheek's Best Use of Social Media Award 2022. So a very, very warm welcome, Amelia. Hi, thank you for having me on today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. And before we go into um, all your amazing projects and experiences, um, we do have a customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? I may be making some enemies here, but I've never actually watched a single episode of Suits. <laughs> so I've got <laughs> From what I've heard, probably like one or two. <laughs> Yeah, well, based on that, we'll give it a very low score and move swiftly on to talk all about you. So to begin with, Amelia, would you mind just telling us a bit about your your background and journey? Yeah, um, so hi, everyone. Um, like Rod said, I'm a future trainee at Clifford Chance um, and I am autistic and dyspraxic and I run the Neurodiverse Lawyer Project, um, which is essentially a, a advocacy group of 50 volunteers who fight for um, equality in the legal sector for neurodivergent people. We have an Instagram page, blog, podcast, um, and hopefully soon events. Um, so I started kind of getting into this area when I started at University of Leeds. I had a lot of mental health issues. Um, and I was late diagnosed autistic, so I didn't know at that point what it was. Um, and after facing quite a lot of either discrimination, bias, um, or just, I think, ignorance to it, particularly in recruitment processes of big disability confident law firms and stuff like that, um, and then also seeing some of the issues that other people had faced, I decided that I would try and do something and make a difference. Um, and here we are today. <laughs> well, you most definitely are making a difference. And um, I, I love what you're doing. And I think you're helping so many, so many people. So please continue to do that. And you know, just going back a little bit, because you um, you graduated with a first class degree in law, which is brilliant from the University of Leeds. You know, what was your experience like at university? Um, <laughs> it wasn't great. Um I think in the the academic side, it definitely took me a while to get used to what we need to do. And it wasn't really until second year that I think I got into my stride a little bit. My first year was I didn't do too well in terms of grades. Um, It was only really in my second year when I just like my A-levels kind of started doing everything myself, um, as vain as that might sound, um, that I started to really get a hang of what I needed. Um, I also struggled quite a lot, like I said, with mental health during that period. Um, being undiagnosed autistic, um, as you can imagine, there was quite a lot of issues. I kind of got in a few wrong crowds, um, people that weren't really right for me. And I just kind of spiralled a little bit, ended up in hospital quite a lot. Um, and yeah, it, it wasn't great. I had to use mitigating circumstances in my final year. Um, but I think 
it was just kind of I had to stop comparing myself to other people and just do it in a way that worked for me and once I started doing that I felt better um but I think a lot of the the particularly like legal education is quite competitive and um I found it quite difficult to kind of integrate into uni in particular but um yeah we never learn (laughs) Yeah, well, you're right. And I say this a lot on the show, you know, run your own race at your own pace. And I think that's a great example you've just given there of, of, of being testament to that because, you know, social media is, is great, but there is these comparisons and, you know, competitive side, particularly within the legal side. So I think it's great that you're you're really trying to push that that change. And we, we've touched on it, but I'd like to talk a little bit more because you are the founder, as mentioned, of The Neurodiverse Lawyer, which is a podcast, Instagram page, website, where you are raising awareness of neurodiversity in the legal profession which is which is most needed but can you tell us just a bit more about the platform and maybe some of the resources that might be available to people yeah um so it started off as just an instagram page where we were well where i was essentially just um putting out my own story and what I'd, i had experienced particularly in the legal sector and also in university um and as soon as i kind of put that up i started to get so many messages from people who had experienced not only similar stuff um but considerably worse as well and you know I was getting messages from um you know senior lawyers in in London and all this kind of thing who were autistic and had never told their employers and had suffered for all this time um under the kind of assumption that they would be treated negatively because of it um and at that point I kind of thought okay maybe I should shift this into a little bit more of an advisory platform. So I started putting out a few um, tips whilst also trying to raise awareness of some of the issues in the legal sector. Um, And it kind of just turned into, I guess, like a little bit of a a support group. Like we started to build quite an established audience. um, And that's kind of what the Instagram's grown into. It's just grown into advice and tips and and just trying to make people feel less alone because I know from my own experience going through uni and the kind of graduate life of looking for paralegal roles and stuff like that and assessment centres they can be quite a lonely place um, particularly if you're neurodivergent. Um, After that I kind of decided that actually it wasn't really getting out as much as I wanted it to Um, so I decided to set up the podcast. Um, The podcast is essentially just a space where we chat to neurodivergent professionals about their own experience um you know we have people who are autistic dyslexic dyspraxic all the kind of spectrum of stuff um, and we've also spoken to a few firms about their approach to it and what they're doing what more that they want to do i think is the important thing um, and currently we're trying to kind of reach out into a few different areas so for example we've just had a woman on uh, a qc who's talked about um autism in the criminal justice um sector um, we have had one of the co-lead researchers of the Legally Disabled Research, which um, is a great piece of research that kind of explains some of the issues quite succinctly, if anyone wants to have a look at that. Um, and then we've kind of grown a little bit of a team because there were so many people, I think, when I started that wanted to get involved, that wanted to help. Um, and there wasn't really anything for them to get involved with at that stage. Um, so I kind of just thought, well, let's create some volunteer roles. And now we have a team of, I think, well over 40 now um, who all work in different divisions, um, kind of like outreach activities, the podcasts and stuff like that. So all those people are amazing. Um, and 
we've then kind of transitioned into doing some free resources on our website. Um, so for example, I identified pretty early on that one of the issues was that people didn't really know what reasonable adjustments to ask, particularly if you've just been diagnosed with something then a grad recruiter comes and say okay what do you need for this assessment center you probably don't have a clue and I think a lot of firms don't have that kind of body of expertise there to provide that advice and so we have a table on um, our website which is free um, where you can look up the different areas of assessment centers and also look at some suggestions for different traits of neurodivergent people we also have things like a template for asking for reasonable adjustments, which we have a lot of really good positive feedback on. I think um, a lot of people, it probably sounds quite simple to the average person how to ask for reasonable adjustments, um, but it's quite daunting, especially if you feel like you are going to face a negative reaction to those or you don't think the firm is going to be flexible. So we created that so people can easily ask firms for those reasonable adjustments. We also have things like um, providing feedback to firms. This was mainly based on my own experience because after basically every kind of paralegal and um, assessment centre that I did, I had to provide feedback to the firms to say that my reasonable adjustments weren't put in or there was something in the process which was just going to be inherently more difficult for a neurodivergent person. And so we kind of created an email template for them to um, quickly send out um, and tailor to whatever the issues were, not presupposing that there will be issues, but a lot of the time there is. Um, so yeah, we have those, we're trying to expand, we've gone into kind of what's in those cheat sheets and stuff that's very specified for um, neurodivergent people, because I find a lot of it puts kind of an undue burden on the neurodivergent person to alter their whole approach and stuff like that, when really it should be a two-way conversation with the person and the firm to make sure that those adjustments um, and also that the firms are are focusing on neurodiversity as an area of DNI, um, which is starting to happen. But we're trying to kind of expand that. But there's just some things we're doing. We're trying to move into kind of events, and we're also doing some workshops for firms and stuff like that, um, which will hopefully be useful. But we're really just trying to lead with the, I guess, like the personal experiences of neurodivergent people, rather than um, kind of there's a lot of kind of neurodiversity experts and stuff like that but a lot of the time the problems fall when they don't consult actually neurodivergent people and like I say in a lot of things you can have like a whole panel on neurodiversity and sometimes it's not a single neurodivergent person on there and I think it comes down to that thing that a lot of the time we're seeing it's kind of incapable and childlike and we can't speak for ourselves and um, so I'm really just trying to put that on I guess like the agenda of law firms um, and make sure that we have neurodivergent people at the forefront um, but yeah there's some there's some things that you can um, find and hopefully will help yeah, well, re really well done because, um, you know, you're putting some really good practical and tactical things that will help people, you know, with, with those resources. So I would strongly encourage people to to check those out um, because I think they're very high quality. And as you say, sometimes people don't know what they need. And so if they can go to this resource, they can actually have everything there laid out for them just to sort of, you know, remove maybe some of the frustrations or worries you first had. And it's so good that you're actually giving that opportunity to people. So um, I love it. And thank you for all the work that you're doing and I guess with that you sort of touched on it but what do you really truly hope others will learn or get from the neurodivorce lawyer community which is growing at the rate of knots yeah I think the main thing and it's always been has just 
been, like I said before, to ensure that people don't feel lonely and unsupported going through this process. Like I said, a lot of firms don't have that body of expertise there to provide that support and help people going through. And I think this is one thing, particularly for autistic people, employment can often be kind of a way out. Um, It's a way, you know, there is no well, very little free support in terms of healthcare and stuff like that. And so employment is so key to autistic people, yet there's only, I think it's like between like 16 and 22% of us are actually in employment, which is shocking. Um, so I think it's just to provide that level of support to know that they're not alone in that process and to know that other people are also going through that. Um, I think other than that, the other big thing that we try to do is just combat some of the many misconceptions that neurotypical people um, have about neurodivergent people um, and how we're kind of like changing the space from this uh, medicalized models of kind of deficits and weaknesses and challenges and stuff like that and changing it into a conversation where neurodivergent people are just normal people with strengths and weaknesses um, that you know we don't need to be micromanaged we don't need to be celebrated all the time either because we kind of go from one end to the other um so it's trying to kind of find that balance but also combating some of the um i guess stereotypes that people have um about neurodivergent people as an autistic person i've faced this quite a lot where you know people use particularly kind of wrong terminology but also the wrong sentiment i think a lot of the time a lot of people do you kind of go towards that autism doesn't define you, you don't need a label? And it's like, well, actually, yes, I do. That's a very big part of my identity. And so sometimes it's those kind of small things which probably don't seem that big to the average person um, that we're just trying to change it from, like I said, that deficit to see it as just a cognitive difference um, that sometimes might need a little bit more support. Um, but it's not the most complex thing in the world and we can live together it doesn't need to be that neurodivergent people are kind of siphoned off into certain jobs or certain departments or whatever um you know it it just takes a little bit of work to kind of integrate people um and so yeah probably challenging the misconceptions whilst also providing that kind of body of support to people yeah i i absolutely echo that and i agree you know it should be cohesion collaboration integration because it's 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 certainly very important and it's you know it's a it's a great pool of talent as well that law firms you know need to establish to you know they need to make these changes so um yeah i love i love it i love it i love it and we talked about briefly your podcast but i want to talk a little bit more because it's super popular and each week you invite different diverse thinkers to talk about their experiences so you've had a range of guests so you know a magic circle paralegal commercial property solicitor in-house trainee solicitors you name it so why do you think it's significant to explore difficult topics like mental health in the workplace university and the employment process um i I think to a certain extent it all kind of feeds into neurodiversity particularly because there's such a strong intersection between mental health and neurodiversity that you can't necessarily just Mm -hmm. take neurodiversity as an isolated topic without considering mental health um neurodivergent people i think often the figures are like we're about two or three times more likely to um go through mental health um conditions and stuff like that than neurotypical people and so we really have to look at those as kind of um conditions that fit together 
Um, I also think that, you know, I, when I first started this, I did have quite a lot of fear around being so honest about mental health um, and showing myself kind of in the light that I do because I was worried that it was going to come off as kind of weakness and that when I got into the workplace that was going to be viewed as kind of like um you know there's a bit of a target on my back or whatever um and I just kind of decided that actually it if I was not going to share that I was not going to be sharing neurodiversity in its full light and you know I just don't think often those things will affect my ability to work well you know I have meltdowns all the time that's an autistic thing and I have to show that in order to be honest about myself and I think that's what's kind of struck a chord with people is that you know people can be honest about their experiences people can be transparent and not be kind of unduly penalized for those and I think as we've seen, there's there's a whole host of issues in the legal sector around stress and mental health and stuff like that. But if we're not really transparent about it, if it's kind of a, a kind of a subtopic, it's kind of brought up here and there. There's a, a day for baking and there's a day for kind of going out and doing yoga and stuff like that. If that's the only conversations we're having, then it's not really making a difference. It's not really affecting people in the way that it needs to and I think we've kind of got to a point where it's got so bad in the legal sector that if we don't see it in its full intensity then nothing's going to happen and I think we're starting to see a movement where more and more people are starting to be honest about their experiences within legal education and the legal profession Um, and I think that's what's really having a difference versus kind of the small initiatives and stuff like that that seem to come out but I think it's just super important to be transparent and open about it i completely agree and and people are craving authenticity you know they're wanting people to bring their true authentic self be human because life isn't straightforward there are ups and downs there's setbacks there's good days there's terrible days but you know the more we can share and sort of bring it uh, around to and maybe inspire and encourage and motivate people um for good I'm all for it because you're right. What you're doing is helping so many people and it's very needed. So um, I'm really grateful for everything you're doing for the community. As someone like myself, who's also keen to build them, connect more of a human, open, authentic community. It's important that we all come together to, to, to do this. So I'm really, really, really grateful for the work you're doing. It's so, so important. Time for a quick break from the show. Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month particularly when it comes to end-of-month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. Sticking with social media, you know, you've amassed tens and tens of thousands of followers on Instagram and you know, acknowledging neurodiversity in the law. What steps can individuals take to be more inclusive? Um, I think there's, there's a whole plethora of things, particularly in terms of neurodiversity. Um, 
you know, I think social media is one side of it in terms of we're seeing raising awareness of certain things like neurodiversity, like mental health. But awareness only goes so far. You know, people can listen to me, people can take on that stuff. But if you're not going to then implement stuff either in your own behaviour or in your own firm, then it's pointless, really. Um, I think one of the main things that we need to tackle straight away in terms of being more inclusive is just in the, the topic of adjustments. And that's kind of the, the bare minimum, I guess, for firms to put in. Um, and so we need to be seeing kind of reasonable adjustment policies and, and ways for people to request those adjustments without it being kind of a, a daunting bureaucratic process. Then we also need to see just, I think, more in listening and engagement. A lot of people kind of nod along when I talk um, about neurodiversity and the issues in the legal sector. Um, but then they're still using the wrong terminology. They're still celebrating us without looking at the challenges they're still calling it deficits they're still calling us disorders and stuff like that and you think well how much have you actually taken on from that so I think really making sure that you are listening and you are taking on those things on board is really important and I think that comes back to another topic if where we see a lot of kind of neurotypical professionals talking over neurodivergent people like I said before um, and we really do just need to lead with neurodivergent people at the forefront because we can speak for ourselves. You know, we might not always know what adjustments we need, but generally we know who we are and we know what we need and we're fine to talk about that. Not that it should be kind of an obligation for us to share, um, but if we want to, there should be a platform for us to do that. And it shouldn't be kind of that fear around looking particularly kind of unprofessional um, you know, if you do want to be honest about your mental health, if you do want to be honest about the challenges you're facing as a result of your neurodivergency or the discrimination you've faced or whatever it is, um, we just need platforms for people to be open. And I think a lot of the time, what I've noticed anyway, is there's a, a level of fear, particularly in firms around saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or talking about it before they have 6,000 partnerships and initiatives in place and really we just need to have those open conversations um, and admit that okay it's fine that firms aren't perfect but we do need to be doing something and we do need to be talking about this and making sure that people are comfortable disclosing um, and having those conversations which I think is is really important and then I think that comes down to the kind of the final thing which is a lot of firms just don't focus on us at all um you know neurodiversity celebration week was a key example of that where although it is just a week and that shouldn't be kind of the focus i saw probably all about of about four firms saying something about it um and then you go to kind of other weeks for other protected characteristics and there's whole events on and stuff like that and i think to a certain extent one of the first things we can do is just start actually acting like we want neurodivergent people in the legal profession for so long I think people feel like there's no place for them you know why would you hire me versus a neurotypical person who might not have sensory processing issues and stuff like that and then it's just changing that conversation up from okay you have all these problems to okay you have problems well weaknesses should I say rather than problems but you also have these strengths which you can bring to the table um, and you work very hard and you're probably likely to be as good 
as a lawyer as X or the neurotypical person coming into the business. So I think sometimes it's just, like I said, opening up those lines of communications, combating those misconceptions, um, whilst also making sure the kind of formal stuff is there, like reasonable adjustments, um, like any kind of initiatives and events um, to make sure that people feel included and, and willing to disclose. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, just thinking back, you know, actions will always speak louder than words. You know, firms actually taking actions and, and putting these things in, in, into place, like like you rightly said, is is, is so important. And, you know, it t- the time now is to accept, let, let people remove the mask and be their true self and feel supported. Because, you know, the more that you really care and look after people and include them, you know, you have a far greater culture, you have a far better retention of your lawyers and just everyone wins. So um, such an important topic um, today. And I'm, I'm glad that you you're giving some real tangible examples of things that firms and lawyers should be thinking about in terms of actually, you know, addressing this topic today. And, you know, you've received many accolades, which are all thoroughly deserved. And you were recently recognised by the Times, as I mentioned in the introduction, the article of Meet the Lawfluencers Courting Popularity, which I, I loved reading. And you're along other previous guests that we've had on the show here, the likes of Megan Hume, Chrissy Wolf, Mayor Crockford, Sophie Shaw, who have all featured previously. But what does this mean to you? And and what does the role of social media and content creation have in terms of changing and shaping the leading legal professional moving forwards? Yeah, I think to start with the kind of the awards and accolades and stuff, um, you know, it's it, it's stuff to be proud of. It's perhaps not the thing I'm most proud of, which might be surprising to some people. The thing I'm most proud of is just like I said, supporting those people and making sure they feel less alone. I think what the awards do, though, is it does tell you that it is starting to be an area that's at least given some limelight and it's given some focus. Um, And whilst it's great for me personally to receive an award, I think it also means something for the wider neurodivergent audience to say that they're finally you know, being able to use their voice and speak about some of the issues because for so long, we haven't been able to it's been taboo it's been um kind of something i think a lot of people are, are fearful of discussing out of fear of facing negative repercussions so i think the awards do that more than anything in the articles and stuff like that because it's just even in the kind of social media and, and legal influencing space um you know there wasn't an awful lot of people talking about neurodiversity particularly for um more junior lawyers and stuff like that but I think in terms of kind of the social media and what part that has to play, I guess, in changing things, I think, again, it does fall down into that. Um, It it is awareness to a certain extent. Um, And I think, you know, I get a lot of messages from firms saying like, great, I've seen your resource. I'm going to take this on and put this in our next recruitment drive, particularly in smaller firms who, you know, I chat to an awful lot of them where they have absolutely nothing and might not even know what neurodiversity is. Um, so just kind of raising that awareness and having that platform that's not only been surprisingly taken on by individuals, but also by firms, I think, has been really beneficial. Um, but I think, like I said, just the main thing in terms of making change is to empower those individuals to give feedback, to say when things aren't right. Because, like I said, there's a lot of fear around actually saying anything negative about the legal industry, actually saying anything negative to firms when you've faced discrimination or your adjustments haven't been put in or whatever it is. And so I think if we can support people to um, 
kind of have the confidence to step up and say this isn't right then that's kind of the first step and that's how we make a change it's not the only thing that needs to happen for a change and arguably it shouldn't be just us having to enforce that change it should be you know these multi-million pound revenue firms that spend a little bit of money and find the expertise to do it for us but sometimes you do have to find a need for them to do that and if so many people are kind of speaking up and putting their foot down and are making feedback then that's great and that is inevitably going to make firms at least think twice about what they're actually doing whether it's meaningful because I also speak to a lot of firms that seem to think that they have absolutely everything sorted that there are no issues and then you get a message from an associate at their firm the next week saying I've had the most awful experience here going on and on and on about it and I think sometimes it is just that thing that they're not necessarily aware that there are problems because they're not aware of what those problems are so if they can read those on an Instagram page that's free that means they don't have to you know pay for all this advice or whatever that's great um but we also need to see them making actions from that so I think it is mainly awareness and support that comes from it um, and just kind of putting it on the agenda. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm one part of a, a big machine and it does need to be kind of the, the domino effects from that to make real change. Um, you know, but if it can start with me and the other people that are talking about it, because I'm not the only one, um, then that's great. It just needs to, I think, be put on the agenda and, and talked about. And we have those open communications, like I said. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you say, you know, people can go to the posts, they can get the the education or the knowledge. And people say knowledge is power. It's actually applied knowledge is power. Actually taking the steps to acquire that knowledge and put these things in place, like you say. Um, so I could not agree more with that. But I, I, another congratulations is in order, because I mentioned in the, the introduction, you are now a future trainee solicitor at Clifford Chance. So uh, that's, that's fantastic. Really well deserved. Thank you. But again, in terms of you being authentic, you know, prior to securing your training contract, you documented the hurdles you faced. So would you mind explaining what difficulties you faced? Yeah, um, I, I think there was a, a variety, really. Um, obviously, I think the thing to mention first is only having my dyspraxia diagnosis, I wasn't necessarily aware of all the adjustments that I should have had. Um, whether that's right or wrong is is another question but I think I want to put that in as a little disclaimer but I think going through university wasn't really something that I ever thought about I was diagnosed as dyspraxic when I was 17 um, and I just kind of didn't really think about it any more than it's a way to get the extra time that I need Um, and then when I started doing kind of interviews and assessment centres and stuff like that I very quickly came to the realisation that a lot of firms just had little to no knowledge about neurodiversity, um, particularly around dyspraxia, because it's not one that's talked about a lot. Um, And the most basic reasonable adjustments that I was asking for, like, say, a question being split up so it didn't have multiple clauses, was not being put in. And it just kind of, I was just sat there in disbelief for a long time, thinking, how is the legal sector so bad at complying with a legal obligation and at that point I was kind of like a little bit scared I think of of putting my foot down and actually saying that there was anything wrong so I kind of just coasted along with it 
when I got to my final year, um, I think as many autistic people do, I had kind of a complete breakdown and just couldn't really do anything for about three months, had to go through mitigating circumstances. Um, and at that point, I started to think, well, maybe it's not just dyspraxia, maybe there's something else there as well. Um, and I was kind of going through that whilst going through graduate life as well, um, with all these paralegal interviews that I was doing and all these firms that went on and on and on and on and on about disability inclusion. But then you actually got there and they had no idea, couldn't put in any adjustments again. And I think after about the seventh one, I just decided I'd had enough. And that was when I decided to step and put the Instagram up um, and kind of share those stories. And like I said, it, it just kind of exploded from there. Um, but I think as I've gone through the, the project, I've kind of got increasingly more frustrated because we have a lot of meetings with firms about collabs and stuff like that. And I could count on one hand the amount of firms that I have been genuinely impressed with in terms of their approach to neurodiversity and their knowledge and what they're actually doing. Um, and so it just continues to go round and round in circles, I find. Um, you know, we are starting to see the odd firm break away from the crowd and, and do stuff um, that's actually meaningful. But I think there's there's just so many issues that we still need to to solve. And it it kind of it spurs me on because I know that so much is there. And then you continue to see people in your inbox or you see on the news that another autistic person has felt like there's nothing for them, that their life is over before it's even began. Um, and it, again, just spurs you on to make sure that employers are being aware of this, because I think there is that thing where you can be constructive and you can wait for them and, and say, you know, no firm is perfect or whatever. But I really do think it's 2022 that like we need to be making moves which are actually having an impact. Like, I just I don't have the sympathy for a lot of firms anymore because I've just seen how little is going on and how little is being done and so I think that is the main thing that motivates me and you know besides my own experience um but yeah I think we just we need to be making some real steps um and in terms of kind of my own autism and stuff like that I think there's particularly towards autism there is a lot of misconceptions and stereotyping um and a lot of kind of mocking and discrimination and bullying and stuff that goes on in the legal industry, particularly towards autistic people. Um, and it, it just needs to stop. We just need to hear more about that, both for myself, but also for, you know, the large amount of neurodivergent people, because there are a lot of us in the legal industry that need to see change. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's kind of my main experience. Um, but. It's, yeah. I think it's just that kind of like level of ignorance and and stuff that goes around um, that we just need to change. Yeah, no, and thank you for, for, for sharing that. And earlier this year on the Legal Cheek, you published um, How I Secured a Magic Circle Training Contract as a Neurodivergent Graduate. You share four pieces of advice. Be firm. Be proud, stop allowing yourself to hold yourself back and be yourself. You also share you may have a personality and show vulnerability and still be successful. So just want to explain a little bit more what you mean by that. Yeah, I think, again, it kind of comes down to the social media thing where a lot of the time we see 
vulnerability and mental health and crying online and showing personality and joking and whatever as a sign of not being professional. And I think, like I said before, neurodiversity, I will cry more. I am not very good with emotional regulation. I can't hold that in. And so I think a lot of the time I kind of think, well, why should I have to? It's not affecting my ability to do the job. It's not affecting anyone's ability to do the job in real terms. All it is is making sure that people are aware of their own limitations, that people are aware that they've reached their limits and can work through that. And I think that's that's actually a positive thing. And I think a lot of the time people get into this thing where they completely kind of wipe out their own personalities and they wipe out their emotions in order to look professional and desirable to law firms when realistically I think a lot of the times that's not actually what they're after um, they are looking for people that they want to work with they are looking for people who are you know pragmatic and have a sense of humor and are individuals in their own right they're not looking for carbon copies of these robotic people going through the process and so I think we're starting to see a shift now, particularly with social media, where people are being willing to share more about their personal lives and kind of see it as an, an intersection of the two. It doesn't need to be your personal life, then your job. We can see these two together because ultimately your health in one is going to affect the other. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're just we're kind of getting to that point now where vulnerability doesn't need to be seen as a weakness. It doesn't need to be seen as something that will make you a bad lawyer. It can just be something that you share that's for your own health and helps others as well. Um, I don't think it needs to be, like I said, that kind of inherent weakness or seen as unprofessional or anything like that. Um, you can just be a good professional and still be willing to admit when you're struggling. I don't think that's a negative thing. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think when people actually open up more, it's it's good for the industry, it's good for them, and it's just a better place all, all round. So I absolutely support that. And finally, before we, we, we wrap up, which has been a, a really fascinating conversation, what advice would you give to lawyers or those in the legal profession wanting to learn more about neurodiversity? I would say the first step is always, and this might be easier said than done, but there are a lot of us, is just to have a conversation with an actual neurodivergent person. Um, I think a lot of the time people start to say, well, I've read an article on it online. I've watched a video on it. That's not really enough. You need to hear it kind of from the horse's mouth, so to speak, um, and get those, those challenges and well, the challenges that they face within the sector and what stereotypes and biases that they come up against. You need to learn what their strengths are and just start seeing neurodiversity, like I said, rather than a kind of deficits and disorders, but rather just a cognitive difference. And I think sometimes it's just seeing us as human beings, because I think a lot of the time we are kind of seen as a little bit of kind of like an alien race type of thing. Um, and so the more conversations that you can have, the better, really. I think then, obviously, like we've talked about before, it's then just putting in those actual action steps. So if someone's told you, um, actually, you are using the wrong terminology here, you're still referring to me as high functioning, you're still saying with autism rather than autistic, um, then you need to go away and actually put that into your language and think about it. And then I think the final thing, which is, again, probably easier said than done, it's actively thinking 
about the fact that not everyone responds to everything in the same way um, when you are in work, when you are at home and, and whatever it is. So, for example, if you're giving instructions in the workplace, it's about thinking, OK, not everyone might take verbal instructions. Some people might need them written. It's about sometimes just having that conscious effort to think that people do stuff differently, people think differently, and not just thinking there's one standard, this homogenous standard of, of people that need everything in the same way. And I think to a certain extent, when we can start to do that, we start to be more inclusive of everyone rather than just neurodivergent people, um, because we are being considerate of other people and we are just thinking of them as, as people where we do need to think about those cognitive differences because everyone has them it's not just neurodivergent people but i think that's that's probably the best place to start yeah no thank you for, for for sharing that and if our listeners which i'm sure they will would like to know more about the neurodiverse lawyer what would be the best way for them to contact you and also feel free to shout out your social media and website links and we'll also share them with this episode for you too um, yeah, so you can get in touch with me specifically either through my LinkedIn, which is just Amelia Platten, or you can contact me on Instagram, which is just Neurodiverse Lawyer. Um, that's probably the best places to get me. If you want to get in touch with the team, our website has all of our emails and different departments that you can contact. Um, so it's normally just like projects outreach at neurodiverselawyer.co.uk. Um, or alternatively, we do just have a contact area on the website, which just sends an email through to us. Um, but that's probably the best ways for you to get in contact. Fantastic. Well, thank you so, so much, Amelia, for, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting you today. And we'd just like to wish you lots of continued success with your legal career and all that you're doing for the community. But for now, from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Sarah. Powerful five stars amazing to hear a podcast that shines a light on how varied the legal industry is hearing from a number of people with unique journeys consistently instills me confidence that my route is also taking me down the path of success incredible zara thank you so so much for your kind words from all of us on the legally speaking podcast we appreciate you